0: My name is Caleb. Again, we are uh, continuing through uh, this four-week study through this verse, Acts two, as we look and we are asking the question: In a new year, we're a young church, we're a few years old, uh, a growing church. What what should we devote ourselves to? What should we give our attention to? What should we focus on? There's a million different church strategies that pop up on my Facebook uh, ad through sponsored ads all the time, and what we should be doing as a church. Marketing strategies, sponsored ads, different events, how you, what words you say in the announcements. I mean, everyone's got the key on how to grow a church. And all I've got to do is this one simple step, and all of a sudden our church will go to 1,000 people. That's what one guy told me yesterday on my Facebook sponsored ad. That's it. What should we be focused on? So For us as elders, as we looked and asked that question, we said, well, what did the, what did the first church do as they were a young, growing church, what did they devote themselves to? And that's where we landed then in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And we see this first church devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so each week we're looking at a different uh, one of those aspects they devoted themselves to. Previously we looked at the fellowship and that sense of a group of people working towards the same mission. This mission that Christ has given us to go and make disciples this fellowship then of believers together working to, com- to complete that mission. Today, we look at the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And as we look here, again, if you're, if you're new here, typically what you'll find in kind of the rhythm and diet of our church is most of the time we're just walking uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. Um, verse by verse, exposition and application of God's word. We think this book really is alive and active. And so what we want to do the majority of time here on Sundays is just work our way through it, expose the meaning of that text, and apply it to our lives and see how it holds up Jesus as the ultimate savior and, um, and sustainer of our lives. But every now and then, we'll take time to step out of a text we're walking through expositionally and just kind of look more topically, which is what we're doing here for these four weeks. At the end of these four weeks, we'll then uh, jump into the beginning of the book of Exodus We'll walk through the book of Exodus this year that um, I cannot wait for. We're also going to be starting a men's and women's Bible study in the spring and Sunday evenings as we walk through the book of Hebrews alongside the book of Exodus. I can't wait as we walk alongside both of those. We'll talk more about those details in a couple weeks. Um, they'll be starting February 20th, that Bible study will. But here in these four weeks, we do want to pause and say, are there moments where we want to look and see what are pressing things within our church, things that we want to address and deal with and talk about? And as we look at the vision for 2022, what are we going to be focusing on? This is the lens this here in Acts 2.42 that we've been given to look and see what we're going to give our time to. So that's why here we're going to be walking through these four verses. So this morning, we're going to give our attention to how the church was devoted to the breaking of bread. We're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, it's important that we understand what that description means, what that phrase means. And there's um, some people believe it to be communion, a description of communion. Certainly, communion is described as the breaking of bread. But I think it's more than communion here of what's happening in Acts 2.42. I say that because if you read just a few verses down, I look at, at verse 46. Here's a further description of this church. It says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That sounds to me like a good old-fashioned potluck. That's what I've got here. Again, this is, uh, this is what we see here, the first church that, that um, is in existence. And we're a Baptist church. We understand that the, um, the sign of baptism is given to believers on the other side of their confession. And we think the Baptist Church is what's described in the New Testament. So this isn't the first Baptist Church in Claremont, First Baptist Church of Orlando. This is the first Baptist church in the world right here in Acts two. FBC World, right here in Acts chapter two. And there you got potlucks happening here in 46 and 47. Another thing that we see is a Baptist church. Um, but they ate with joyful and sincere hearts. They broke bread together from home to home. They had people over to each other's houses. They use their dinner tables to help foster and build this kind of community within the church. I think that's what's described here in the breaking of bread. That's striving for true and real Christian community. It's something that each of us long for. We all long for community. Even if we don't really put words to it, we all long for that. Part of that's an expression of each of us being made in the image of God, of a triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit. In his image, we then were created. There is a community of within the Godhead that is then embedded in each of us. A longing to be with others as an expression of that image. No man is an island, the famous poet once said. And that's true. We all long for community. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. There's something in us that longs for that. The question we then have to ask As Christians, as Christ followers, what does Christian community look like? And how is it distinct or different from what the world has, what the world might offer? In looking here, there's a number of principles I think that we can pull from and see to help us see what Christian community really is. Now, there's a couple of dangers and a couple of reactions to the description of the early church that I think can actually ruin real and good Christian community. Two different reactions. One reaction that can ruin community is if you read that and go, oh, my, can't, my community can't look anything like that. There's no chance. Yeah, okay, yeah, they, they broke bread every day from house to house, ate with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That ain't happening. I can't do that. That's, that's something that's unrealistic. And so we then respond that way and see how unrealistic it feels. And so we shrink back and just go, I'm just not going to do anything. I can't do it. Maybe, maybe it's how we think God's wired us. We took a personality test that told us we don't like to be around people. So sorry, God can't, can't do it. That's not me. I'm not wired that way. That feels unrealistic. I can't do it. That kind of community is for someone else. and ain't for the introverts in the room, not for me. That no, actually ruin community. It pulls us into isolation and away from what God would have us. The other reaction that ruins community is if you read this and you go, my community can look exactly like that. We begin to have an ideal version of what real Christian community looks like. It begins to be perfect. There are no issues. Every single day we're having somebody in our house. We can do it, life on life, real community. This is it. Someone says no to our invitation, they don't love community and I don't love them. And there's an idealistic view that actually places this unrealistic expectation that will leave you always frustrated the rest of your life until you get to heaven. Because it's not perfect. And you will just continue to look and go from church to church looking for a community like that and you won't find it because the community in acts wasn't perfect. And friends neither is a church. I heard one pastor say if you find a perfect church you don't join it cuz then you'll ruin it. <laughs> it doesn't exist. We're made up of people that are sinners, that will let each other down, that will actively sin against one another. Then the need for forgiveness and reconciliation comes in. And that's why I think in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, bear with one another. He writes that because he knows people are going to get on each other's nerves. He knows that you're going to have to bear with one another. There's going to be a need for forgiveness. There's going to be a need for love. There's going to be a need for that. But in the forgiveness, the bearing, and the reconciliation, is that not a more beautiful picture of what the gospel is than just leaving at the first sign of discomfort? It's a culture that reflects who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The two reactions we can have to this text that can ruin our community, thinking it can't look anything like this or it can look exactly like this. So what then... Can we see from this text to help us and what Christian community looks like? And to do that, I actually want to look at what Christian community is not like. Three different things, what we'll see, principles from this text to help us see uh, three things that Christian community is not like. First, we'll see that Christian community is not found. Christian community is not found. Second, we'll see that Christian community is not perfect. And third, we'll see that Christian community is not ultimate. Christian community is not found. Christian community is not perfect, and Christian community is not ultimate. First, Christian community is not found. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not uncommon for people to come, visit our church, talk to me or one of our other pastors, and to say a phrase like this, why why are you coming to our church? What are you looking for in church? And the response will be, well, I'm looking for community. As though community is something that we just kind of stumble on. We discover. We find it. They've got it. I'm going to then come and Take part in it. We want to find community. That's a phrase that's that's commonly commonly spoken. Uh, Eugene Park, a pastor in Palo Alto, California, he put it this way, though. He said, community, real Christian community, is never found. It's only built. Real community is never found. It's only built. What did he mean by that? He means that. Rather than approaching the church as a consumer, as a shopper, and going, okay, I'm going to find community. These people, they kind of look like me. They, they like things that I like. Uh, these people, I, I don't really like them. They, they don't, this guy talks way too much about Mississippi State and Marvel movies. I don't want to hang out with him at all. Um, he is the worst. That is, if you're new, that's me. I try. Every week to not insert a Marvel illustration. It's one of God's sanctifying processes in my life of restraint and perseverance. Um, But you look around and maybe you just go, okay, I'm going to look for community. I'm going to go through and select what I want and what I don't want. Almost like we're at Chipotle walking through the line and picking who we want to be with. And the moment then that there's someone that brings discomfort, frustration, or doesn't meet our ideal, then we're out of there. I don't like that. I'm not getting that next time. We find community. We approach the church as shoppers or consumers, rather than approaching it as something that we have to put work into and we have to build. There's an expectation and burden on us. It takes intention, intentionality. It's conscientious. It must be built. It takes work. That's why you see see that here in the first verse, or in the first couple words in this verse, for the church in Acts, they didn't just stumble into it. They had to devote themselves to it. It's an important word to look at. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They didn't just go, oh, I love Jesus, so now I'm just going like, to do all this stuff that's difficult. They devoted themselves to it. They said no to other things so they could say yes to these things. Friends, what do you devote yourself to? It's really the question we're asking throughout these four weeks, helping us not just as a church to see what it is we're focusing on, but each of us as individual Christians, what do we devote ourselves to? What do we devote our time to? What do we devote our thoughts to? Part of that takes intentionality. And at times, saying no to other things, which are totally fine and in no way sinful, in order to say yes to some of these other things. And with community, again, it takes devotion. It's not without difficulty and it's not without sacrifice. It is not easy. Building will create tension, building will create frustration. Building will not go as quickly as you would have liked. But you devote yourself to it. Or do you come to a church, sit down most Sundays, and expect community to come to you? Or do you search on yourself to step in and build what it is God is calling you into? We see that one of the primary ways to do this in building community, there's a million ways to do it: going to football games, going to play dates. As a church, one of the things that we're looking at this year to, to start again, um, we're going to be starting Guys and Girls Night Outs um, three time, about three times a year. We'll do stuff like this, get outside of church, get around one another. We'll have church-wide events like potlucks, again, here in Acts 2, can't help it. Potlucks, movie nights we had at Christmas, other, other things at a church that we're just saying, come and just meet other people within the church. We, we want you to be able to come and get around one another. Our community groups are the primary avenue and mechanism that we have. Meet week to week in people's homes. That's why we call them community groups. That's the purpose of the group, to develop and foster community. Eating together, talking together, praying with one another, talking through the sermon. So we as a church want to do these things. And as people, we hope as you come to these, you'll begin to develop that community. But it goes beyond that even in your life. What are steps for you to take? to develop that community. Again, there's a million ways and things to be able to do. Find somebody and go to a football game with them. Uh, Go to, again, one of our play dates that we may do as a church. Have someone over with your new Oculus and play Beat Saber, whatever it might be. Share your Wordle score with a handful of people. I don't know, whatever the kids are doing nowadays. Whatever it is you find commonality with, beginning to express that and do it for the sake of building community. But one of the primary ways that God has given us to build community, is through our dinner tables. We see this throughout the New Testament. There's something powerful that happens at a meal. It just is. One writer noted in Luke's gospel, the majority of Jesus' ministry is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. That's true. In the same sense for us, it's why it's a command. Hebrews 13, 2 says this, don't neglect to show hospitality. That, there is no um, personality exception clause to that phrase. Every Christian is commanded to show and express hospitality, to open up our homes, to open up our hearts, to be hospitable to one another. It looks different for each of us. So don't compare yourselves to others that maybe have more of a gift of hospitality, that may be more extroverted, and go, I've got to be just like that. No, how has God wired you? He didn't make a mistake. In doing that, he knitted your personality together. Don't look at others and go, I wish I was more like him. God did not make a mistake with you, he didn't leave out any parts when he put you together. He knitted you together in your mother's womb, and he wants you to be exactly who you are. How then, with that gifting, with that personality, with those desires, can you then show and express hospitality? How does that look in your life and in your season? It looks different in every season. And so what does that look like to show hospitality? This is one of the weapons that God has given us. Um, weapons is too strong. a word. tools. We'll say tools. Tools that God has given us to build community. is through our dinner tables. John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis, author and theologian, uh, put it this way. He said, the physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth. The reason why we're not floating off into space is because there's a central force of gravity that's pulling us towards the center. He said in order to break free from Earth-centered life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push the space shuttle away from the center. He notes that there's also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and affections and physical actions inward toward the center of our own cells and our own lives and our own homes. And because of that gravitational pull, the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It's the path of least resistance. All we, have to do, all we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our own self-centered life, and the result will be a life so full of self that there is no room for hospitality. We will forget about it, and we will neglect it. And friends, there is a, we need to acknowledge there's this pull towards ourselves. And the way in which we're freed is seeing the way that God has demonstrated his hospitality towards us through Jesus Christ. Some of the words and language that the New Testament authors use to describe what the gospel is, frame it in a sense of hospitality. Paul notes that we were once strangers and exiles. But God in his grace then tore the dividing wall of hostility, brought us in. Those who were far off are now near because of the blood of Christ. And he has now welcomed us into his household And given us a seat at his table. God is a God of hospitality. Who makes strangers family. And he then turns to us and says we are called to do the same. Within the community here and with those who are outside of it. And so this is the the thrust that we work against to build this kind of community. It takes intentionality. We have to be devoted to it. We don't just stumble into it. Get together with your spouse and strategize ways to take steps to show hospitality and build this community. Again, whether it's saying, hey, once a month we're going to go and we're going to find someone at church that we don't know and ask if they want to go eat lunch. There was a guy that was here uh, last week that was visiting from North Carolina. Um, He's a seminary professor at Southeastern the seminary I went to, and I've told this story before, but he was visiting last week, which is just a coincidence, but whenever I was at seminary, my wife and I visited the church that he was at, had never seen him before. First time there, they were sitting, him and his wife were sitting in front of us, and he did exactly that. At the end of the service, he turned around and said, hey, I'm Ryan, hadn't met you before. He said, hey, I'm Caleb, this is my wife Leah. He said, great, what are you doing for lunch? We said nothing. He said, come with us, and so we went. But that's a story that still Resonates with it. We didn't hang out with him a ton after that. We ended up going to another church. But as I saw him last week, because of the hospitality that he showed me that one Sunday, there was a community that existed because of that. So, what's it look like for you? Get together with your family. Think about for yourself what are the ways in which you can show and express hospitality? Again, there's no end to the ways in which we can do this. And so, we see Christian community is not found. Second thing to note, and we've talked about it already, Christian community is not perfect. Christian community is not perfect. If you want to kill this community, think you're going to find a perfect one. People are messy. People are not Jesus. We will let one another down. We will frustrate one another. And we will actively sin against each other. Because we all need grace. So how does the gospel come to bear in a community like that? I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Lutheran pastor and German theologian in the early 1900s. Now, he was actually uh, a pastor in Germany during World War II, was actively working against the Nazi regime, was eventually taken to a concentration camp, and um, was, um, was martyred, hung in 1945 because of his connection to an assassination plot to kill Hitler. He wrote a number of books Cost of Discipleship is considered a modern Christian classic. And another one called Life Together, dealing with this conversation of Christian community. And in it is this quote, and I come back to this often in a number of different ways. But he talks about it this way, the the way that we can sometimes idealize community. He says, Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself actually become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal attentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build though Christ builds the church. Whoever is mindful to build the church is surely well on his way to destroying it. For he will build a temple of idols without wishing or knowing it. He, we must confess, Christ built. We must proclaim, he builds. We must pray to him and he will build. And we don't know his plan. We can't see whether he is building or pulling down. It may be that the times by which human standards or the times of collapse are for him the great times of construction. And maybe the times which from a human point are great times for the church are times when it's being pulled down. It's a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, preach, bear witness to me and I alone will build where it pleases me. Do not meddle in what is not your providence. Do what is given to you and do it well and then you will have done enough. Do not meddle in what is not your providence. That is such a line. We do not come and construct the community that we think we need. We enter into a group of sinners on their way to glory. And Jesus then has given us his gospel and ways in which we are then to love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. But it's not perfect, it's not ideal. We commit ourselves to a group of local Christians to be able to play out these things that God has for us. And if we walk in with this idealized view, these people need to hang out with me all the time. They need to do this. They need to do that. They are letting me down, becoming frustrated and bitter. and We just move on to another church. We will do that as we eat through church after church, constantly frustrated, having this idealized view of what community is, thinking it must be perfect. Because that's never the case. The other thing that can do is if you think that community must be perfect, it places a burden on your shoulders that you can't reach. An expectation that you may put on yourself that's going to keep you from engaging in community. If you go, man, community has got to be perfect. I've got to have like, my perfect plates. I've got to have cooking that everyone will like. My house has got to be perfect. I've got to have great dinner conversations. And oh, I, I just I worry about how perfect everything has to be, and my house isn't perfect. My cleaning isn't perfect. My cooking isn't perfect. My people skills aren't perfect. Therefore, I can't enter into it. And we pull back, thinking there's this expectation of perfection that God hasn't given us. And we can sink back from it. Listen, I love, I love that we have people in this church from other countries. Because as we talk about this conversation, I'm always struck with how different Americans think about this than others. I have friends from Puerto Rico, friends from Africa. And both of them, as I talk to them, both of them express the difficulty of living in America and how unhospitable we are typically as a culture. Very individualized. And they they tell me, they go, Caleb, you've got to like schedule to go see people here. We would just, in Puerto Rico, go and knock on people's doors. We wouldn't just show up. In Africa, we'd go around and you'd welcome people. You, you didn't plan for dinner, but they were there, and so you just went and made more. So again, I'm not saying that we've got to totally transform the culture of America today. It will take time. This is where we live. But I am struck with how individualized we are in the help of seeing the body of Christ around the world. It maybe seeing some of the blind spots that we have here. Have we let culture kind of shape what we think community is? We've forgotten, perhaps, of what we're supposed to be. Maybe we have, there's a great book by Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a great book on how the gospel creates in every Christian this kind of knee-jerk towards hospitality, this reaction to hospitality and opening our homes. We read it every year in our pastoral training program um, that we have. And every year, for whatever reason, it's the least favorite book of our residents that, that we have. So that's not a glowing recommendation. But, but here's what I will say. Uh, I was talking with somebody this morning, and uh, their husband read it, didn't like it. She read it and loved it. So typically what I find is whenever people read this book, one spouse will love it, the other one will hate it. Honestly, often because of personalities. And there is a sense in which Rosaria Butterfield, you read the book, she calls it radical, ordinary hospitality. There's nothing ordinary about it. The woman's incredible in her hospitality. Her and her husband live in North Carolina. But in seeing it, there's a kind of a expectation. That we go, we got to be just like that. But what she does well is show us the way in which hospitality, again, is not an option for Christians. The question is, what will it look like in your life? What are ways we can be hospitable? And a really clear distinction, I think, is incredibly helpful from her. She distinguishes between hospitality, biblical hospitality, and kind of a worldly entertaining. And how we can sometimes combine the two and think that we have to entertain, we have to put on, we have to make sure everything, our house is like the Ritz-Carlton, right? This is what hotels do. They entertain people, and we have to do the same, because that's not hospitality. Hospitality is opening your home, welcoming people in. To develop community and to reach people who are far from Jesus. Your home doesn't have to be perfect. Plates don't have to be incredible. The meal doesn't have to be like a five-star restaurant. What are the ways in which we practice in this hospitality? And seeing true hospitality, true community, and not counterfeit hospitality. But it's never perfect. We have to take that expectation off. Whether we become frustrated or it keeps us from it. It's never going to be perfect. Christian community is not found. Christian community is not perfect. The third thing that we've got to make incredibly clear is that Christian community is not ultimate. People may come and unknowingly put community as kind of the end. This is the goal. This is what's ultimate. Let me figure out in my life how to be able to find that. Friends, community is a byproduct. It is what Jesus creates. It is a byproduct of his gospel. Listen, in Acts two, I promise that they weren't eating from house to house because they went, "Hey, we love the same kind of movies." Oh my goodness, I can't believe we're in the same Facebook group. This is incredible. We gotta get together and hang out. We've got all these common interests. I can't believe how much we love. We all love Mississippi State University, and we live in Orlando. This is incredible. They didn't come together because they had all of these common interests. They came together because they had a common Savior. They had just experienced the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, who God himself died in their place, offered them forgiveness for all who trust in him. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to do anything. God died for them. And he saved them, and they trusted and followed him. And then all of a sudden they looked around and said, you've done the same thing. Let's get together because we live in a world that has the opposite message of Jesus. And we need one another, not because community is the goal, but because community helps us see, savor, and worship God better. Even in Acts 2, that was the goal. The goal was never, let's just hang out. The goal as they, verse 46, they broke bread from house to house. They ate it with joyful and sincere hearts. What was the goal in verse 47? They did it praising God. The goal of community was the worship of God. God was the end. Worshiping him was the goal. He is what is ultimate. And community helps us do that. Community is one of the means of God's grace that he's given us. To help us in our hearts, to help us in this walk, be able to worship and follow him. Christianity was never a Lone Ranger assignment. God gave us community and God is saving for himself a people. If you read the Bible and have just a brief overview of the Bible, you will find that from the beginning to end. God is not just saving individual persons. He's saving a people. Whether it be Israel or whether it be the church, God is saving a people. When you look at Revelation, there is a group of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around that throne. And the thing in common isn't the language spoken, isn't the culture, isn't their taste of movies, or isn't whether or not they do CrossFit. The thing that they have in common is the one that's seated on the throne in the middle. And they are around him. And God is saving a people. It's not a lone ranger assignment. So here in this world, one of the things I see in America is this fear of commitment, this individualized view of life. We then import that to Christianity and church becomes something we come to every now and then as it fits our needs, as it's not too inconvenient. Christian community and going to community groups, having people over to our homes, we can do as it suits us, as it's not too too uncomfortable. But we've got to see what community is. Community is not just for us. Community is to help us. The book of Hebrews gives kind of these two different um, uh, ends of what community does. Hebrews 3 verses 12 through 13 says this. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that you won't be, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But instead, encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. One of the reasons God's given us this community is to help us not fall into the deception of sin, to keep us negatively from the world, the flesh, and the devil that's constantly trying to destroy you. When we remove ourselves from community, when we pull ourselves away from other Christians, we make ourselves more vulnerable to the schemes of the evil one. And we think that we can just do this on our own, but friends, you cannot. God has given us this community for that reason, to help us along the way. But not just negatively, but also positively what Christian community is. This is the other thing we see in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Author says this, Let us then consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Positively, the sense of community, not neglecting to gather together, as is the habit of some, is to come together and try to think through ways. How can I provoke in this other person love and good works? How can I intentionally strategize and plan to help them love Jesus more? What are ways that I can stir that up in them so that whenever they leave a conversation with me, they love Jesus more than before that conversation? How can we as a Christian community spur that up in one another? That is why it's important. That's why the gathering itself is important. That's why online church doesn't work. It's not church because we're still individual. Church is not just the the transfer of information. It's not just an experience to watch. It's not something as an audience member that we just pay money to to, to, uh, to just observe. No, the gathering is about a community. It's about a people. It's about engaging and encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, showing up on Sunday and asking the question, what can I do to help someone love Jesus more? And serving in conversation and going to lunch afterwards. Or do we approach thinking about ourselves? How can this church fill my needs, meet my needs? No, Christian community is not about our needs. Christian community is about helping us as we ultimately seek to worship and praise God. Keeping us from the deception of the sin and encouraging us to love and good deeds. And friends, whenever we pull ourselves from that, from a Christian community, from a local church... This is why membership is important. We talk about this in our membership class. Not because church membership, we use that word. We use it because it's a similar language that Paul uses in the New Testament. But we've got to define it. Because when we hear membership, what do we think of? Uh, like Costco. <laughs> like the gym. Blockbuster, rest in peace. <laughs> now you, pay, you pay your dues to an organization and they give you benefits that you want. That's what membership is. So church membership is the same, right? It's an organization. It's a, let me go and find people that I like. I'll, I'll pay my dues. and They can give me benefits. And that's not at all how the Bible talks about membership. When Paul describes the church, there's a number of different um, images that New Testament authors use. One of them in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses is a body. Christ is the head, and every person in a local church is a member of that body. And he draws a whole number of conclusions from it. One of which he's saying, though, is that every person's different. Some people are hands, some are feet, some are elbows, some are noses, some are eyes. But all those members, unified together, work for the building up and the edification of that body and the glory of the head. And so no one person is the same. Not everyone is the same. Each of us are different. But there is a commitment, this conscientious commitment and intentionality to a local group of believers to place yourself in that kind of community and under the authority of a church to be able to walk forward to help keep from the deception of sin and walking forward in the encouragement and spurring on to love and good deeds. And each of us are different in that. So you think about it. Paul asked the question, if everybody was an I, then what good would that be? Where would the sense of smell be? Everyone has an ear. Where would the sense of sight be? Right? I think about those old uh, allergy commercials in the 90s, right, where someone gets stopped up and it was just a big nose in the commercial. They're walking around. It's a big nose. That's honestly, I think, a perfect picture of what, what Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians 14. If everyone was just a big nose and looked the exact same and had the same kind of gifting, then what good would that be? It would be, it would be disastrous and things of nightmares. But instead... God in his sovereignty and his providence and his wisdom has made up his church with different people, with different gifts, different stories, different personalities on purpose and placing them together. That whenever they come together with that kind of a mindset saying, I'm a part of a body. I'm not here just to pay dues as an organization to receive benefits. I'm here to use the way that God's made me to minister to these people and to minister to those around me. What does that look like? That's what church membership is. And it's conscientious, it's intentional, it's something we devote ourselves to. It's never perfect, and friends, it is not ultimate. It's not just about getting together a group of people so we can be friends. It's about coming together to worship our Savior. And as that happens, when Christ is ultimate, then true Christian community flows from it. Then you begin to find community with people who are different from you. Then Christian community starts to look different, and there's unity and love with people who are very different from you who are in different seasons of life, who come from different cultures, different countries, who speak different languages, who vote differently than you. And all of a sudden, people begin on the outside to walk in and see a community of people that shouldn't be hanging out together but are. People that love one another. And that begins to say something about the Savior that's brought them together. Jesus knows this in John 17 when he prays. He prays that the world would see that the church would be unified, So the world would know that the Father sent him. Jesus knows there's a connection between the diversity and unity of his church and the real, true Christian community of his church and the missional persuasiveness of that church. If someone walked into a church and goes, oh, it makes sense that all these people hang out together. They look the same. They're about the same age. How powerful is that? But whenever somebody walks in, they look around and go, this doesn't make any sense. And then you get, and then people begin to ask, and you begin to say, we are here. We love one another, serving one another, getting involved in one of those lives in different seasons and different ways. Because of the Savior that's brought us together. Friends, that says something about him. Whenever we neglect that kind of community, when we pull back from it, we neglect one of the serious and best means of grace that God has given us, each other. It's one of the things we believe as well, that there is a priesthood of all believers. We believe the New Testament teaches. There is no divide between um, the, the priesthood and the laity, as we see in some denominations. We understand there's a priesthood of all believers and that you are not just an observer, you're a participant in this mission. In what ways is God going to use you to encourage and minister to other people and to reach out to those around us? The breaking of bread. Friends, are we devoted to it? Seeing the way in which God has opened his home to us, invited us to his table. How will that shape us? What ways will your hospitality change this year? Ask that question today over lunch. Think through it. Pray through it. Get together with friends. Talk with your family. What ways can you use hospitality to develop and build that kind of community? It takes time, it will never be done, and it isn't perfect. What are ways that you can engage in that? What's that next step of obedience look like for you? There's a million ways. What's it look like for you? And knowing that at the end of the day, this isn't just about finding friends, but it's about treasuring Christ and worshiping him. And so we have to be sure that even in those close friendships that we do have, are we encouraging one another? Are we bringing Jesus into those conversations? Or do we just get together and talk about how the Packers blew it last night? we talk about the ways that we need prayer? we mention the ways in which we're struggling? Do we share the things that we're seeing in God's word? Discoveries of who, what God is like, what Jesus has done for us, the ways we're amazed. Why does that feel like weird and too christian I oh, I don't want to do that. Are our friendships marked? They look different from friendships in the world. Friends, we understand discipleship very easily defined as just this. Discipleship is friendship with a Christward direction. What are the ways that Jesus is shaping and, and injecting himself into our relationships and into our friendships, into our community and into our churches? And what's it going to look like for us this year as we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread and the development of true and conscientious Christian community? Would you pray with me? Lord, we, again, are amazed at your grace and your hospitality. And God, on our own, we might be able to develop some friendships that look like the world, but Lord, we need your spirit to develop a community that looks different from the world. God, would you help us as a church to look like and have the same kind of feel, the same kind of DNA, same kind of flavor as that church in Acts 2? Whether we'd be devoted to the breaking of bread, having people into our homes, opening up and having conversations with people on Sundays that we don't know. God, using then our dinner tables, our homes, our passions, our interests as ways and tools to help build this community, to work, Lord, by your spirit and your grace to be able to do what we can't do. God, would you help us always have a proper view and understanding of what community is and what it's not? As we know that it's not found, we know it's not perfect, Lord, help us always to remember that it's not ultimate. It is not the end, it's the means to an end. Not the ultimate grace, it is the means of grace that you've given us To help us love, treasure, and follow Jesus even closer. Lord, you help us to keep that always, Lord, as the proper goal and ultimate aim of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name.